so. My friend, I uh, always like to meet people who have been um, already, let us say, coming after they already know about Victor Budadasa. That you probably also are familiar with the fact that he has been quite a revolution in Thailand over the past 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that basically what that means is, is, is that he has let the um, the real Dhamma, the super mundane Dhamma, the actual Dhamma that works, he's let that out of the bag. He's like the cat out of the bag, okay? He began to make it public. And so um, this quality of letting things be public by the way, why don't you go ahead and turn your microphone off so that uh, uh, we don't have a lot of extra noise. Okay. Uh, if you want to talk, go ahead and turn it back on. Okay, so. Good, Michael. Um, so starting off with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is actually a very good place to begin. Um, uh, but often. There's so much happening in the retreats that many of the students miss some of the key points because they're, let us say, finding and falling in love again with all the things they already believed were true in the first place. This is called confirmation bias or projection, right? And sometimes some of the really important stuff gets slipped right by because it didn't make any impact on us, or let us say that we didn't gain much of any kind of insight into that. Okay, so um, going back over then the actual practice of Anapanasati and kind of filling in some of the gaps for you um, would be uh, quite valuable. And the place always that we begin is with the teaching of the Buddha that the only thing that he taught was Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. The Buddha didn't teach anything about attainments. He didn't teach jhana. He didn't teach rebirth, reincarnation, magical powers. He didn't teach any of that stuff, and he admittedly so. Okay, that he didn't even teach annihilationism, which was what he was most accused of. What is annihilation of? In the suttas, it says, upon the breakup of the body, the existing being is annihilated. When you're dead, you're dead. You're alive, and then you're dead, right? And the Buddha does not teach that either. Nor does he even teach all about anatta that what he really teaches is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. To come out. Now, most of the Westerners have the idea that, oh, that means that I've got to go look at the Dukkha. Dukkha, 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 here's Dukkha, that Dukkha's, uh, that Dukkha's connected with this Dukkha, let's go down this Dukkha rabbit hole for miles, right? But the Buddha didn't teach that. He taught Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, see the Dukkha, and the better at, at seeing it for what it is, 
the issue is to come out of. And that's the third noble truth is that we can come out of this once we see the cause of it. And that the cause is actually manufactured in the mind. So in a way, what we can say is, is that there are three actual kinds of people that have three different actual kinds of doubt. And that as the doubts are eradicated, we can come to the Dhamma. Okay, and the first doubt is, who can I get to help me? Where is my mommy? Where is my authority? What rules do I follow? What am I supposed to do? Right? This is um, actually all wrapped up with Silabhata Paramasa, which I don't know if you've heard that word before. It's uh, attachments to the way that things are supposed to be and the people who set them up. Okay. And so in our culture and society, we do that with gurus. We do that with psychologists, medical doctors. Okay. Please be my mentor. Be my daddy. Tell me what to do. And that's the first doubt that keeps people at an ordinary level because they never will find that authority there. It doesn't exist. And in a way it cannot exist because nobody can see what's inside your mind. Only you can do that. (laughs) And that's where the responsibility comes. That's actually now the second noble truth is all the crap comes from within. It's our own stupidity, our own greed, our own ill will. And when we can see that in operation, we can make a change. Bhikkhu Dasa was really big on change. Did you hear that word at the retreat at all? Change. Um, I'm not sure if I remember hearing about change specifically. I mean, Tan Damavidu gave most of the Dhamma talks and he talked a lot about Dukkha and he talked a lot about, uh, oh yeah, change, Anicca. Okay, of course, I did hear about change. What am I saying? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. For some Um, reason, it didn't click when you said it as like, like, impermanence, but yeah, definitely. Exactly. You're probably thinking, what is he talking about? Okay, so this is what I was mentioning before is is some of the most important things that are are, that are said slip right by us. And now I'm bringing it up to kind of wakey wakey. Okay, the whole teaching of the Buddha is about changing. The second noble truth around so that we can get into the third noble truth that we can, in fact, be free from the dukkha. Now, the way that we would define dukkha would be dissatisfaction. So, if we can get ourselves into a state of satisfaction, then that's it. It's an easy thing to do, is to just get yourself into a state of satisfaction. That's the only thing that the Buddha was ever trying to teach in the first place. Let's get satisfied. And what does that mean? It means being okay with the way things actually are without having to fix it. But our whole culture teaches us that we've got to fix whatever is broken and we and there's a whole lot of stuff broken. 
Some people think the society is going uphill, but not fast enough and not high enough. Other people think that the thing is broken down and they want to destroy it and all kinds of stuff. And you've got so many different wars going on, both outside in the society and each one of those people within. We don't like. We're dissatisfied. And we often think that if I can get what I want, then I'll be satisfied. And so we go around wanting things that we don't have. That's the real dukkha. Is it, and basically ignorantly, not even aware that it's the fact that you're wanting something, pining something, can't get what you want, that makes you feel bad. Actually, it's almost like if I don't have what I want, I, I see it, I like it. And because I like it, I want it to keep I want it to be around often so that I can look at it again and like it again. Because I really like looking at it, whatever it is, girlfriend or a painting or a hundred dollar bill, whatever it is that I like looking at, I want to keep it around so I can like it again. Right? Well, if that's the case, then that means that I've got to go get it. I'm not good enough without it. I'm not good enough without it. I can only be good enough and therefore complete enough and therefore satisfied enough if I have that $100 bill or that house or that girl or that car or whatever it is that's my heart's desire right now. Guess what? All we have to do is to stop wanting stuff or more wisely, only want the things that are easily available. Now that's um, profound. Think about it. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to see if I can express some of my my personal delusions and see what you think. Um, you know, I've um, having uh, at this point in my practice, um, I don't I, I don't really want too many worldly things anymore, except for the occasional. Oh, if I could just go back to Thailand, if I could just go back to Wat Swan Mok, I'll be able to get back into the stream and all that. I, I do get caught in that sometimes, but um, the wanting that I find um, myself with at the moment, besides the unconscious bad habits of, like I said, going to eat and watch TV constantly, that just gets in the way of of my my mental health. Um, is um, like to be frank is like I f I want to make contact with the nibbana element. Like I want like the full exactly explosive. Right. Like, exactly. I want yes maybe on stream entry. I this want, is what I was getting at. Okay, so yeah, now we know. I in other words, got you. Yeah. Okay. That look that you're not good enough because you don't have what you need or want. You think you'd be better off with this Nibbana and that whole thing is in your mind as a concoction. Just like Santikaro and uh, and Archan um, Dhammavitu talk about. These are the concoctions. You have concocted a Nibbana in your mind and now you lust after it. <laughs> and that's why you're dissatisfied. Thinking that you will be okay and satisfied when you have that. This is the basic teaching now. 
This is taught in Zen. You're already enlightened, they say. Tatatha is to be here now. You're good enough right now. Let go of all of these desires. See that that's a, a, that, that painful. Wanting spiritual attainments is painful. It's called spiritual materialism. And I have not met a student yet who isn't deeply infected with that. Okay, go ahead. Um, so, um, you know, how I, I'm, a, I'm a bit technical. I actually wrote a thesis on Ajahn Buddhadasa, so some of my questions might be a little technical, but, um, I'll get you out of that soon enough. <laughs> well, what I've what I've always appreciated about 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 Buddha's teachings is some of the is uh, what you're talking about, like that you know that immediately effective apparent here now Dhamma, but like the criteria for measuring um, measuring uh, awakening by basically the absence of of the defilements of the taints of the asavas, you know, things like that. So um, even though conceptually I understand that wanting to go through jhana, have an insight into, you know, the constructed nature of myself, that, that gives me these insights that, that lifts the suffering off for a while before it comes back and the habits come back. Um, even though um, I know conceptually that like wanting that itself is the opposite of nibbana because it's wanting some attainment um, when I'm not practicing, when I'm not doing anapanasati for two hours, three times a day, so six hours a day, if um, then my mind is filled with defilement. It's filled with craving. It's filled with, you know, old habits of delusion. So I guess my question for you is, um, and, I'm, and for me, for that reason, I've always taken personally taken issue with the idea that, you know, I'm already enlightened because the mind is filled with all these impurities and there's a way to, to get rid of it. So I guess the question is, how do I balance the idea that I'm already satisfied, I'm, I'm already awakened here and now, um, and the fact that the mind still has these habits that cause dukkha, um, these different forms of, of defilement? All right, let us say it this way. I can give you short answers. The shortest answer I can give is because you're not changing. The whole point is we got to change and you're not changing. Okay. Number two is, is that of course you're going to ask that question. That's where all of this has been leading in anyway. You're just a step ahead of me. That's all you're asking the question about, you know, you're 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 stopping in the middle of the book on page on chapter three saying, well, what's in chapter four? OK, well, we'll get to chapter four. We're on our way. In fact, we're right into it. OK. But in fact, going back to where we were, chapter three, about coming out of the dukkha right here, right now. Waking up or seeing things clearly is the then the eradication of or the opposite of the ignorance that keeps us caught in wanting things we don't have, like spiritual attainments, jhanas, nibbanas, and all of that kind of stuff. 
in, it's, it's almost like standing at the foot of a ladder wishing you were on the roof. And in fact, there is actually one step at a time if you'll take it like that. And the fact is, is that the re, at the retreat, you missed a few rungs along the way. And so now you're trying to figure out where those rungs were that you missed so that you can climb that ladder again. Okay. But so long as you're standing at the bottom of the ladder pining for, then we're not going to get anywhere. And the state that I'm talking about right here is the state of, let us say, 90% of all of the people. This goes back to what I was saying about who am I going to get to fix me? And the answer to that is nobody's going to do it. So now the second doubt comes. Am I up to the task? Am I up to it? Can I do it? Do I have the mojo? Do I have the success? Am I going to pass the test? Etc. What test? The test that I set up consciously, wisely, rather than ignorantly. Okay, so this is the whole idea again. So let's go from um, the first, second, and third noble truth. The second truth is, is that we are responsible for all the crap because we made it in the first place. We changed it from infancy into childhood, and then we changed it from childhood into a uh, brat. And then eventually into adulthood that's still kind of a brat inside. So we have been able to change. Let's continue to do that. Let's, in fact, in a way, grow, actually grow up. To grow up to be completely mature, which means in, when we were a child, we played with childish things. And now that I'm adult, I put away those childish toys. This, by the way, is out of the Bible. That's one of the things that Paul got away with. Okay, is that that statement? And he was talking about it at that emotional level, like wanting things that we don't have, like inventing toys like Nibbana or Jhanas or whatever things like that, inventing those things in our mind and then wanting them. Like some emperors in the old days, they wanted eternal life. And wow, did they go through a whole lot of trouble? Many of them actually accidentally killed themselves trying to take medicines they designed to make them less, live long. Okay, now that's ignorance for you. <laughs> okay, so we go into now in this teaching from the Eightfold no, into the Eightfold Noble Path. In fact, in the time of the Buddha, it did not have that kind of connotation or certainly not that language. The Eight, in fact, is there and evident in the suttas, but it was never listed like that. Just like you probably heard about eight jhanas, where in fact there's only listed four. And then some suttas there's nine if you count them the way that they counted up to eight. So this is actually a bunch of abstractions that people are putting on to things when we're actually talking about natural events. 
natural events that happen naturally when we set things up like that, that we have to make decisions, we have to make changes about which direction we're going. And so in the Eightfold Noble Path, everything starts with right view. Right view starts first. And that right noble view is different and that we actually have to have a bit of right noble view to ever really get into practice anyway. That we know, in fact, enough about dukkha. We just don't know how to get out of it. And that's where we have to bring the uh, the viewing into the present moment, rather than the view of there is dukkha out there and it comes by from time to time into our own guard. So if it comes right now, I can see it right now. This is what sati is all about, which works with it. The sati then is to wake up and take a look at what you're talking, you're thinking about. Wake up and take a look. Now, you were doing a lot of that at the retreat. That's part of what they, they talk about, is to wake up and take a look. And then number three is right noble effort to make a change. To make a change from unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts. This is actually a fairly easy thing to do, but it needs to be done over and over and over again because at any particular moment, you'll be triggered back into unwholesome thoughts. Can you catch those? And so long sitting meditations actually is um, not necessarily advantageous for being able to see dukkha, that we can get ourselves into happy states. But the question is, are we going to live our lives? Is your, your goal to wind up sitting in some forest monastery in Thailand or in Burma and sitting on the floor in that small temple for 14 hours a day, 16 hours a day, maybe sit there and sleep? Is that what your plan is? I haven't met anybody who has that plan, but I've certainly seen guys who are like that. The Asians can get really into this stuff. So the question is, is he sitting there wanting something just like you? Or is he sitting there comfortably and happy because he's got any and everything that he wants? Or is he sitting there in some deep, some num- some um trance that would be by some imagination, some high jhana to where the reality is, is he's just dull asleep. So I'm glad that you're telling me that, in fact, that you don't want to, in fact, live like that, that you actually want to be alive and to live, because this is something that actually would be I used to. <laughs> <laughs> right, that is what you described used to be my aspiration, um, but it's not anymore. Oh, <laughs> so you had an insight. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you 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 describe perfectly the reason why my mind changed. I I could see that, you know, Michael sitting in a forest monastery in Thailand would probably be just as dissatisfied as Michael, you know, sitting at home here, um, that the difference isn't going, 
you know, it's, it's the same delusion as any other delusion. Um, you know, like if, if I thought to myself, like there's another aspiration I have, which is to have a homestead in the mountains and the forest. And I tell myself, if I get that homestead, then I'll be able to do my practice. I'll be at peace. Well, you know, those are just two versions of the same habit I have, which is to create a fictional place where I'm perfectly peaceful and, and experiencing the bottom 24 hours a day. <laughs> and yes. And guess what? In the regard of how we're speaking, those that whole train of thought is unwholesome. And it's planning for the future. Not living in the present moment. And that's very common. Everybody does it because we're taught to do that as children. We're asked stupid questions like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Rather than asking the child, what are you right now? And so we get into that habit of always continuing to grow up into some new future, which marks us as some sort of child today but when we come to the point of living in the present moment that's when we're fully alive got no future all we've got is everything right now and we need to practice doing that because we're already well practiced at thinking about the future so Change means to change those thoughts from wholesome to un, uh, from unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts. One wholesome thought after another after another. When your mind is in a state where you're having one wholesome thought after another after another, that's actually then the definition of first jhana, along with several other factors. That in fact the word samati is referred to for the first jhana because we're actually bringing several factors together. Samadhi does not mean concentration. This is one of the most important teachings that I can give you is because we're here to wake up Bodhi, to be awake, to be alert, to be alive, not somnambulistic, often some dull meditative state which seems to be the way that everybody wants to go because they think that there's going to be a light at the end of some dark tunnel that they've gone into. Something like after the end of the dark night of the soul or something. I feel that you can you can get that from taking heroin, you know, or opiates if you want to like you be can in get that. yourself into a really bad state doing various things including <laughs> the wrong kind of meditation. I mean like with that type of that type of like like using meditation to get high basically to get into like a like a dull trance i was like if that's your goal you might as well you know just take drugs you know i mean probably more consequential with the drugs but um it seems it seems to be a similar driver Um, exactly okay so the story then is is that the new young zen monk goes into the temple and there's his teacher teacher just sitting there And the young monk goes up and he says, Master, Master, are you meditating in order to become enlightened? The Master opened one eye and says, 
I'm not meditating because I don't need to be enlightened. Okay? Don't need anything that we're satisfied. Everything is already hunky-dory. Okay? But the thoughts that we have are planning thoughts. Thoughts that things are not hunky-dory. We've got to fix this broken thing rather than relishing the fact that everything is already okay. In other words, we're intentionally having unwholesome fixing it thoughts. Rather than wholesome, it's already okay thoughts. Now, uh, I'm actually referencing Sutta number 117, um, where uh, the Buddha uses the term unwholesome thoughts. Also, we use uh, Sutta number 19 has two kinds of thoughts, wholesome and unwholesome, and it gives definitions for those. In the Anapanasati Sutta, it uses a slightly different language. What was the language that it uses in the Anapanasati Sutta is to gladden the mind. You probably heard that one before, to gladden the mind. Right, bit right by you, because gladdening the mind is in fact the change that we need to make. All right, now we actually make a kind of a little distinction, but it's not important. But there's a difference between gladdening the mind by using the words versus brightening the mind or gladdening the mind in the state of mind that we're in. So if the mind is dull, we can make it sharp, we can make it bright, we can wake it up. As well as talk ourselves into having the kind of thoughts that are worthwhile having right now. And so in having the kind of thoughts of, oh no, it's still 30 minutes before that bell rings, we can have the hot hot dog, I've got another 30 minutes to sit here and do absolutely nothing. So, this is the distinction then between gladdening the mind versus doing something that has a lot of thoughts about what we want. That in fact having um, spiritual and mystical experiences is a dead hindrance or deadly is a deadly hindrance why because we begin to want something before we didn't want now that we've had that experience i want that again i've had that ice cream i want more (laughs) okay and guess what we didn't get it the first time by wanting it but now that we want it can't get no satisfaction when we want. What we have to do instead is practice being satisfied. There's a there's sort of an like a an irony in my with me is um, that the peak and now I'm talking about the past, but you know in the peak of that practice that I I continued after Swan Look. Um, the recurring thought I had was uh, that there's there's nothing to do, there's nowhere to go, and there's nothing to say. 
And I started to perceive Buddhism as a cure for religious aspiration. Like that, you know, I had these, I had these, I didn't tell you about the, you know, I didn't go back this far, but I had these mystical experiences when I was 15 and that created, like you said, a want for that. And then it felt like that bit, that was the biggest fire in me that was cooled after Swan Book. And um, it felt like to move my body instead of my body moving itself towards hunger or towards hurrying towards some craving, it felt like there was no, there was nothing moving my body. So for me to do anything, I had to choose to do it. So I felt completely, I felt like I had complete agency. Um, and it was just like this absence of, of having anything to say or having any desire. Um, so the irony now is that I'm aspiring for that again, which, you know, is the opposite of what that was because there was no, there was, there was no fire, you know, in me. It was, it was just coolness all the time. Um, and I'm constantly trying to get back to that, but, and I know in my mind intellectually that that trying to get back to it is craving, um, is being dissatisfied. Okay but I, I haven't been able to crack my own code for <laughs> all right listen <laughs> carefully listen carefully because I actually have already given you the code at least um, the first four digits of the combination the first three digits okay you have to go back to remembering to be here now to wake up and look at what the mind is doing and then with discernment decide whether you can improve it or not and then you make a decision to improve it which means you're taking actually the effort actual effort that I'm going to come out of wanting Nibbana and be okay without it I can be fine. I'm okay. Now, there's something else along with that, and that is, is that whenever we're practicing, naturally, I think that you know this, um, or at least you agree intellectually, that we want to have the body in a safe place. We do not want to practice Anapanasati sitting on the railroad tracks nor at the police station. Right? Maybe at a hospital when we really need it after we're well skilled, but we don't go into Anapanasati to practice Anapanasati at the beginning when we're already laid up in the hospital. It's too late. <laughs> okay. Why? Because those places are all dangerous. We need to get the body into a state of relaxation. And in fact, that's what step four is in Anapanasati is getting the body relaxed. How we're going to do that with the relaxing the body is, first off, getting into the safe, secure, and comfortable environment. Safe, secure, comfortable. Remember those three words. Because getting the body safe, secure, and comfortable is exactly what we're also doing with the mind. In fact, by talking ourselves into getting the body safe, secure, and comfortable, both as we are sitting down and then when we are sitting down, we already get the mind into a state of safe, secure, and comfortable. Gladdening the mind. No place to go, nothing to do, everything is okay, everything is safe, everything is all right. 
this is what will bring on the feeling that, yeah, everything is okay. Everything's all right. A state of satisfaction. And that satisfaction now, surprise, surprise, is exactly opposite of dukkha. And we can get ourselves into a state of satisfaction, but we can't have any fear. We can't have any dissatisfactions. We can't have any discomforts. We remove those things intentionally. How? By changing the kind of thoughts that we were having before. And we do this over and over and over again. This is actually more um, uh, teaching about the Eightfold Noble Path and the first three items, Samaditi, Samasati, and Samadhirya. And now we're going to talk about the fourth item, Samasankapa, which is almost always translated wrongly as wrong thought, but the better translation is right intention. And I'm giving you a new definition for the word right attitude. Okay. Why? Because if we continue to get ourselves into a state of satisfaction over and over and over again, doesn't that feel a little successful? Yeah. And we begin to get the attitude, I can clean out the mind. I can do it. I can take the right effort and throw these hindrances out. And that gives us the feeling of being a winner. And when that grows into maturity, we become a lion, completely self-confident. Why? Because we know we can handle anything. Which is another way of saying, I don't give a flying rip about anything. Why? Because I'm smart enough to not cling and grasp to anything or to carry anything around. So, in fact, in this way, we're also understanding the, the teaching of Paticca Samapada, which you were introduced to. Okay, Paticca Samapada is about when we cling to things, that's the real dukkha. If we don't care, then there's nothing there. And so we keep practicing this way and over and over again, we get that confidence growing, that mojo. I can do this. I can handle this. And then there comes a point when that um, confidence, that shraddha, is strong enough that we can say it does not matter what happens, does not matter what kind of hindrances come into the mind, whatever obstructions it might be, I can throw that stuff right out. I can throw that stuff right out and see reality as it is right here, right now. Now, this statement that the Buddha said is noble. It is super mundane. It is a factor of the path, and it's not held by ordinary people. Ordinary people are still struck in the point of, help me, Daddy. And this is beyond even that second uh, doubt of, am I up to it? Because we've got the answer. Dang tootin' I'm up to it. You got it, buddy. You got it. This is the whole point, is, is that we can, in fact, control the mind. 
we can get it to the point of having one wholesome thought after another after another, condition it into the feelings of safe, secure, comfortable, satisfied, and successful. And now we've actually talked about sukha, which is part of the Anapanasati Sutra, to develop this as a skill. And then the satisfaction itself uh, leads to success. And that's the pity, the feeling of, wow, being on top of the world. And in fact, one of my students said one time that uh, it's commonly known, or at least in some quarters, some famous person said that every one of us is an emperor of our own pile of dirt. Now, actually, what the dirt is there, it's our old rubbish. That's the uh, the sand cars that Achan Damabitu is so on about. The sand cars. Every one of us is an emperor of our own pile of dirt. Except we uh, we um, are underneath the dirt and we think somebody else buried us. Exactly. So the attitude is, are we going to be on top of the world? Are we going to be on top of our own pile of dirt? Or are we going to be buried under it? Reminds me of the, I don't remember where the story came from, but the story about the sandwich, you might have heard of it. There's a a man who goes to work every day and he complains, oh, I got a ham sandwich. And then the next day he goes to work and he's like, oh, another ham sandwich. And it goes on and on and on every day. At lunch, he's hanging out with his coworkers, and he's like, oh, ham sandwich again. And finally, like after about three weeks, his coworkers say, hey, why don't you just ask your wife to make you a different sandwich? And he goes, huh? I'm not married. I make my own sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's the same idea. It's like, like I'm complaining about this dukkha that I'm making for myself, you know? <laughs> exactly. That's a good one. I like that, the ham sandwich. And, we made uh, it ourselves. Okay. So that means now, if we can change, that we can come out from under our own pile of dirt that we're buried in. We can claw our way to the top of it, because that's where you were. Or we can just simply sit on top of the world. It's a mental attitude. Are you going to be on top of your world? Are you going to try to claw your way to the top? Are you going to be dissatisfied being in the bottom? I'm not sure how to answer that. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm trying not to skip ahead because that is my habit. Um, I, I actually heard one of your talks where you talked about the drivers, and I'm definitely a hurry up and a perfectionist. Um, but the hurry up is very dominant. Um, but um, the question that keeps coming to mind is, um, is um, I, I, I love how you describe jhana is one wholesome thought after another uh you know of course with the jhana factors um the various jhana factors uh relative to what jhana you're in as well and um when my practice is when i'm doing it i i've 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 had i've had times where i've just been in that stream of one wholesome thought after another just that state of there's nowhere to go there's nothing to do there's nothing to say everything is exactly right could feel my body from head to toe. I couldn't get angry if you stuck a knife in my arm. I'm so, you know, good, you know. 
All right. So um, why don't you practice that instead of wanting it? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I should. Yeah. I, I got like my dad said. I have nothing but excuses. But um, not about Buddhism, but about other things in my life. But so where I'm getting to is there, um, the Dhamma is everywhere. Everything is Dhamma. So what I'm getting to my question. And maybe maybe the question will just be another expression of the same problem, but you know how the Buddhist path is often summarized as um, abandoning the unwholesome, cultivating the wholesome, and purifying the mind. Um, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get to the purify the mind part because I feel that the, the conceit, um, the conceit, and just I have so many ways that I fool myself. When you have power. the Western mentality, the thought you're living in the future again, by the way. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and that's the mistake is, is that we think that we got to get rid of something. We think that it's going to happen in the future. If I'm a good boy now and do the right thing, then soon I'll have relief. And all you have to do is say, aha, I see that thought. And I don't have to figure that out right now. Right now, I'm okay. I'm satisfied. I guess I'm, I'm looking for like a guarantee that I won't fool myself again because I fool myself. You over, can over. have that guarantee, and you uh, are the one who's going to have to write that ham sandwich. Okay. <laughs> you can have that guarantee. That's what we mean by having that mojo, having that lion. You work up to it. You get one success after another, after another, until they pile up like trophies in the mind. Because that's a whole lot better Sankara to have than the crap that you're carrying around now. And that's basically what we're talking about. We can't get rid of the Sankaras, but what we can do is we can put a whole lot of wholesome things in there. Or as one of the talks that I had, the DJ really loved it when I started talking about put hamburgers on your sewer. If you only put one hamburger in it, the sewer is going to eat that hamburger. You don't want that hamburger. But if you've got a layer of hamburgers 10 feet deep, then you don't even have to worry about the fact that there's a sewer under there. You got all the pile of hamburgers you want right here. Okay, so that's the way of looking at it is, is that we've got to pile up a whole bunch of happy thoughts whole lot of wholesome thoughts so that they okay. become available to us. Okay. Change the habits. One thought is like your fear of myself. Like there's this like other part of my personality that just like fools me into going back into the habits. When I when I'm when I'm when I reach that level of practice where everything is perfect, there's always a voice that comes into my head and says like Take a deep breath and tell yourself right now, everything is perfect. Go ahead, do it right now. Let things be perfect right now. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Everything is all right. Everything's fine. I'll just keep doing that instead of, you know, convincing myself that I'll fool myself. Exactly. Stop thinking about the future and recognize it right now is just fine. What do you recommend for um, for like sitting on a Vanasati practice? Because you're the way you're talking right now is, I think, a really beautiful way of bringing it into daily life. 
And then of course that'll make the sitting better. But of course that's like the, the most important thing is the daily life stuff, but. I don't, let me put it this way. I'm going to give you the three P's. Do it early. That is practice, performance, and play. You have to practice that in fact, the Dhamma is very, very much like a whole lot of different skills. One example would be becoming a musician, learning to play music. The kid has to practice. Okay, he's got to practice. If he's going to take music lessons, the teacher's going to tell him, you got to sit down and practice 30 minutes a day or an hour a day. You got to practice. When the kid's doing that, he doesn't want mama in the room. He wants to do that alone so that he can experiment with his um, instrument. But the most important quality of it is he's got to actually enjoy his practice time. Getting something of benefit out of it, because if your practice is dry, then you'll quit. Just like almost all piano students, they quit before they ever get anywhere with it. After two or three years, they're gone. Okay. So we got to get the joy out of it. There's a whole lot of people who practice dryly in the sense that they keep wanting what you want. They get a good experience and then they lust after that experience six hours a day, every day for years until someone like me comes by and, and confronts them on that. Okay, very, very dedicated meditators. Really up themselves off it about how many hours they put in <laughs> and how good they are at sitting still. <laughs> and what kind of Rinpoche or whatever titles that they've gotten before. So the whole idea then is just to come out of that mentality and get benefit out of your practice. To actually take the right effort, breathing one after another. You already know how to do this now that I've given you this expression of it. Okay. You keep remembering that you can change your mind. You can get your body comfortable and relaxed. But in fact, the relaxed body is one of the factors of the jhana in some of the sutras. In others, they only have five factors. And I've only talked about four of them so far. Um, and the last two, besides getting the hindrances out of the mind, getting one wholesome thought after another after another with the sukha of safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. And then the pity comes in with the success, the championship. I got it. I know it. And then that goes into I can do this anytime I want to. All I have to do is remember. And I can remember, okay? So that's that confidence that grows. Uh, so with that, the way that we get into this is with the applied and sustained thought. We have to keep coming back to this and keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. But in fact, one of the ways that I speak about it is the entire Dhamma is written on the back of every shampoo bottle at 7-Eleven. Have you heard that joke? Uh, I heard you say it in one of your talks, and I, I, I definitely laughed hysterically, and I was like, that's it. That's the, that's the Buddhist teaching. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Rinse yeah. and repeat. 
And I thought to myself, purify the mind and purify the mind and purify the mind. Purify the mind. Okay, exactly. And what do we mean here in this regard to remove unwholesome thoughts? To remove that unwholesome thought, thoughts about the future, thoughts about the past, thoughts about someplace else, thoughts about wanting things, thoughts about um, thoughts about wanting something out of the Dhamma. But a wholesome thought would be going over the aspects of the Dhamma like a rehearsal or like a sutta or like a, uh, a chant that you would go over and over and over the Dhamma because what else have we got to think about? This is the really good stuff. Thinking about the Four Noble Truths, that's good things to think about. Thinking about the Anapanasati Sutta, that's good things to think about. Thinking about the Eightfold Noble Path and what? how is my Sati? How is my um, uh, ability to see? How is my effort going? I got some effort, got some mojo. Okay, so this is in fact the kind of stuff that we want to evaluate at any point in time, but the best time to do it is when we're already in the first jhana. You see, one of the interesting things about first jhana is, is that whatever we notice is always wholesome, is always real. It's not made up a bunch of crap, or by definition, we're not in the first jhana, we're back into hindrances. Okay. So that means now that the investigation that we're going to be doing is the real jail, the real thing. Um, how is my investigation? Can I keep coming back? Can can I sustain this? And we look at that. That's the applied and sustained thought that we're looking for is actually remembering to apply and sustain the mind. It's kind of a tight little circle there. But sati is to wake up to sati. That's why we talk about sati and also with right uh, noble view. To remember to look is all wrapped together in, in one little thing. So this is how we're going to practice with the um, bringing the wholesome thoughts because we keep looking at how we're doing, what's happening in the mind, investigate, talking to ourselves about the breath, talking to ourselves, in fact, about what sensory input that's coming. And also we talk to ourselves about how we feel. Okay, so in fact, by talking to ourselves about the Satipatthana, this body, this set of feelings, these thoughts, this condition of the mind is all very wholesome kind of thoughts to think about as it really is right now, as opposed to what you were doing was, oh, this body will be better off. These feelings will be better off if I get this, that, and the other thing, instead of examining how things are right now, because right now they are good enough. They're satisfying enough. And in that regard, we've already gotten enough information to practice correctly, so we don't even have to deal with doubts about what to do or what I don't know, or what is Nibbana, or what is First John. I don't care what all of those things are. That's, what we, that's, you know, throwing that stuff out, dropping it, relinquishing it. I don't care what First John is. I don't care what Nibbana is. I'm having too much fun right now playing with my own mind. That's the way that we practice Anapanasati. 
and it and the Anapanasati Sutta itself is geared around getting the mind into the first jhana so that we can continue to investigate, but now the only things we find are wholesome. So we can investigate sati. We can investigate investigating. We can investigate pity or how good can I feel? Let yourself feel, I mean, just experiment. How good can you feel? And while you're experimenting with how good, what are your peaks of good feeling? That's the second jhana. And then how good can I feel just hanging out would be like the third jhana. And so we investigate that. We pay a whole lot of attention to being satisfied. Pay a whole lot of attention to feeling really good. But in the beginning, we pay a whole lot of attention of, am I paying attention? Um, how about when um, we get to the point where we've had a lot of insight into the uncertainty of feeling and wanting to go beyond feeling, if that makes sense? Um, well, so like that's still not wanting trust, to something. Not, still not wanting trusting something. good feeling, I guess I could say. We actually have to be able to uh, develop them and control them. Mm-hmm. If you can't control your feelings, you can't stomp them out. It's true because you have you have to be able to go to the highs rather than say I'm just going to stop the lows. I think I, I think you're right you about gotta, I'm trying to skip like ten rungs on the ladder and get to the roof. Because <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I seen the roof and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to jump over the ladder to the roof since right. I know what's up there. Wanting, wanting something that you don't have instead of yeah. enjoying the second rung of the ladder. Because now you're two feet off the ground. Whoop de do. You fall down very quickly. <laughs> well, learning to be satisfied is is the process. That you have to actually learn to be satisfied by practicing being satisfied. You don't learn to be satisfied by practicing being dissatisfied. Doesn't happen. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Uh, I understand. I think I caught um, practice and play in what you were saying, but I think I missed uh, performance. Well, exactly. In fact, that's okay. Think about the musical student who is in the recital, and they have been practicing piano for two years and been practicing this one piece of music for a year. And that little kid walks out on the stage and she sees all of the mommies and the daddies and she gets terrified. But she gets her mojo up. I know this piece of music and she sits down and she carefully plays that piece of music the way that she knows exactly how to do it. That's performance. Okay, and we need to learn to perform the Dhamma when we're in public. We need to play. We need to practice it on our own. But when we're in public, we we perform. Now. When we've performed so many times that we know that piece of music, just what they say by heart, but I'm talking about not by heart, but by bones. That's how deep the music will go. The example that I have is um, uh, this guy um, is working at a piano bar back in the 1950s where the, the bar has a piano and he's there playing. He's got a repertoire of about 200 pieces of music. And uh, a, a woman in a um, evening gown 
comes and leans on the piano and starts to talk to him. And he looks at her and he uh, has the conversation with her and he doesn't miss a note. And then the story goes on is, is that then Joe Friday, the detective cops walk in and interrogate this guy while he's playing the piano. And he's paying attention to them and he's letting them do this interrogation and he's answering their questions as best he can and he doesn't miss a note. Okay, that's play. Is when it's deep into the bones and you can see some musicians, especially those who like a piano concerto that the first time they play it in in public, they don't play it. They perform it. They got to watch every note. Their students, the whole audience knows their students are listening for every possible mistake. Okay, but if he's played that same piece of music 15 times or over 15 years at various concerts, He's going to walk out on that stage and he's not going to miss a note because he's got every one of them right into the bones. And he's just enjoying that thing because he's actually more paying attention to the reaction to the audience and the rest of the musicians. And he's not worried about the music. The most difficult music in the world and he's able to just play with it. You got your mute. I said I really like that analogy because uh, two two understandings come into my mind. The first is like like sort of levels of success. Like first, I'm a piano student. I'm sort of like a kid who's being taught to play piano, and I got to practice, 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 practice. And then I am good enough to perform that practice at a recital. But at the highest level, I'm like that like jazz musician who can just like be freewheeling just let it rip <laughs> coming out of the soul and you're basically kind of in samadhi in that level right when you're at play like it's just like so in you as well, a musician you, you are samadhi because you got it together that's the word that's what the word samadhi means is you got your stuff together and then the other the other understanding from that is the more technical buddhist understanding which is it sounds like a metaphor for guarding the mind um you know practice and then the performance you're guarding the mind but then when the guarding the mind becomes so continuous you don't even have to think about it you're just there's never going to be you've got a new set of habits Mm -hmm. you've got a new set of habits exactly yeah i like that that image will stay that's a good that's a good image to to keep (laughs) okay well go practice some okay go Go practice I will. And, <laughs> and start to play with it also. That in fact, this is what we do on alone is we begin to play with our own mind and our own body as if it were a toy to experiment with it rather than setting a set of rules about it. So this is how we're going to practice now is in a really playful way because we're going to enjoy this stuff. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm going to start right here and I'm going to continue yeah. on, give my okay. kid a bath, put him to bed, you know, all that stuff. I'll just keep it going. <laughs> all right. So when are you going to call again? Um, hmm. Let's see here. How, how often do people usually call you? <laughs> I, okay, I'll answer that. We can, you can call once or twice a week, something like that, for a while. Okay, that works okay. for me. Up to you. 
Okay. I don't I don't make appointments, but we need to keep at it. Okay. Um, I'll I'll put it into practice for maybe the next two three days, and then on day three or four, I'll give you a call. Excellent. Um, and I'll I'll report uh, how it's been applied. You know, uh, the interesting about me is I'm very stubborn. Stubborn. And after I left Swan Mook, I wrote down like the teacher ego is my biggest enemy because I'm always trying to be the teacher. Um, and in all the years that I've been practicing the Dhamma, I've only I've only done that retreat. And then now speaking to you is the only two times in my life I've ever actually sought advice from someone outside of my own practice. And um, it's very difficult. And all you're going to get from me is, hey, man, you got to go do this for yourself. But I'm telling you what you got to do and 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 pick at you for some of the stuff that you have been doing rather than the Dhamma. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm impressed, I'm impressed that my mind's response to you because I'm usually so stubborn the whole time somebody's trying to talk to me. I'm just like, mm, 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 no, mm. you know, I'm kind of like that. Just evaluate it. And, but uh, as you've been talking, it's just been locked, clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking. So I'm like, okay, good. I found somebody who can get through to me, <laughs> which I thought was impossible. I've got my ways. <laughs> yeah, I snuck in there. Well, I, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, Michael. We'll see you. Yeah. Have a good. Have a good day. Yeah. <laughs>